0: What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, the sage of the squared circle, Mr. Kyle Moores. Um, I'm just coming at y'all with a real quick message because it's June, and June is the start of Pride Month. So I thought as the resident LGBT representative here at the Chair Shot, I'd give y'all a little history lesson as to the origins of Pride, why we celebrate Pride in June, and my thoughts on what we should be doing this year during Pride. So for those of you that don't know, Pride got started in 1969 in New York City at a place called the Stonewall Inn. And the background to that is that prior to the beginning of the Pride movement, um, it was really, really common for the police to raid gay bars and beat people up and arrest them just for being gay and this was in a time period where you being outed as being gay could cost you your job could cost you housing could threaten your safety in a lot of ways and so this kind of treatment from the police was just really really common for the lgbt community and in june of 1969 the police raided this bar called the stonewall inn And on this particular night, the people in this bar, especially the black trans women in this bar, decided that they were tired of getting their asses beat by the police and decided that they were going to stand up for themselves and decided to fight back. And so the gay pride movement that started in 1969 started with riots. It started with chants of out of the bars and into the streets. And the LGBT community in New York City first and then around the country rose up and fought back against this unfair treatment by the police. Now I say all that to say a couple of things. Number one, we wouldn't have pride without the Fierce commitment and advocacy of black activists and especially black trans women, people like Martha P. Johnson, who put their lives on the line for our safety and our well-being. That's number one. Number two, I'm not here to say that violence is the answer, but if you're the type of person who thinks that violence doesn't get paid attention to, riots Get attention. When nobody else was listening to the gay community telling them the police are beating our asses for no fucking reason and nobody else wanted to care and when people couldn't take it anymore and they rose up and they went out in the streets and they started breaking shit, all of a sudden people started to listen. A riot is the language of the unheard. If you want the violence to stop Listen to why people are being violent in the first place. Number one. Number two, if you are a member of the LGBT community, you owe it to your ancestors to get out there and support black lives. Because if black lives hadn't fought for you, you wouldn't have the rights that you have. Black lives matter. And you need to give them that same support That they gave to y'all. So this year during Pride, we can't be out there marching in parades, y'all. Rona is still a thing. But what we can do is we can use our voices, use our power, and use our advocacy to amplify black lives. Do it. It's the right fucking thing to do. Love y'all. Stay safe out there. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times? And we need
2: to ask you to listen to your plans. What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George, George Floyd. Floyd. If
1: I was George Floyd. If I was George Floyd. Floyd. I am George Floyd.
2: I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I golf. am Eric Garner. I am
1: McCormick
2: I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon
1: Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am
3: Michael Brown. I am Samuel DuBois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I and Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't
1: take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League,
2: this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, we, the, the National, National Football League, League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people.
1: We, the National, the National, National Football, League, Football League, admit wrong and in silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, we the National, National Football, League,
0: Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black Black lives
1: matter. matter. Black lives matter. It's almost, in a strange, counterintuitive sort of way, the best teaching moment of this most recent tragedy, I think, was the look on the officer's face. For white people to see how nonchalant, how casual, how just every day going about his job so much so that he could just put his left hand in his pocket, wriggle his knee around a little bit to teach this person some sort of a lesson. And it was his right and his duty to do it in his mind. I I don't know. I think I'm just embarrassed as a white person to know that that can happen. Uh, to actually watch a lynching. You know, we've all seen books, and you look in the books, and you see black people hanging up on trees. And you you are amazed that we just saw it again. I, I never thought I'd see that, you know, with my own eyes in real time. It's important that we as white people, because I think Nothing's going to happen. We have to do it. Black people have been shouldering this burden for 400 years. The only reason this nation has made the progress it has is because of the persistence and patience and effort of black people. Uh, you know, the, the, the history of our nation from the very beginning, in many ways, was a lie. And we continue to this day, mostly black and brown people to try to make that lie a truth so that it's no longer a lie. Uh, And those rights and privileges uh, are enjoyed by people of color, just like we enjoy them. So it's got to be us, in my opinion, that speak truth to power, that call it out no matter what the consequences. We have to speak We have to not let anything go. Uh, It's just a situation that is very similar to me. It's like the the gun arguments. What's it going to take? Two more black people with knees in their necks? I I don't think so. I I, I don't think that's going to happen. How many more sandy hooks do we have to have? It's easy for people to let things go because it doesn't involve them. It's like the neighborhood where you know there's a dangerous corner and you know that something's going to happen someday and nobody does anything. And then a young kid gets killed and a stop sign goes up. Well, without getting too political, we got a lot of stop signs that need to go up quickly because our country is in trouble. And the basic reason is race.
2: Our Lord grant us good in this world and good in the life to come keep us safe from the torment of the fire. As we keep our hands up high and scream for justice. Ferguson. Rest in peace, Mike Brown. And all the young soldiers out there God help us Time to take a stand and save our future Like we all got shot, we all got shot Throwing up our heads or let them shoot us Cause we all we got, we all we got God ain't put us on the earth to get mad it's murder get God ain't put us on the earth to get mad, it's murder get don't put your weapons at me. Seen the pictures, feel the pain, scanners how they murder son. Tired of them killing us. I'm on my way to Ferguson. Talk to Tip, I talk to Diddy. Then my brother's walking with me. Mother's crying, stop the rise. We ain't got a chalk the city. I seen coal out there, felt I should go out there. They left that boy four hours in the cold out there. They killing teens, they killing dreams. Yo, come on. We got to stick together, we all we got. We when we police got. taking shots and I ain't talking about Syrah. I'm talking about Emmett Till, I'm talking about Azelle Ford. Talking about Sean Bell, they never go to jail nah. for it. Trayvon over Skittles, Mike Brown, Cigarello. Cigarello. Story Cigarello. keep repeating itself like a biggie instrumental. <laughs> America's a glass house and my revenge is <laughs> my revenge. Is <laughs> rather yeah. use my brain and yeah. throw yeah. a cocktail I through a window. I got keys Did to the city, still we left in the cold. <laughs> Hands in the sky, still was left in the road. Ribbon in the sky, Michael Brown, another soul. Stole by the system, black men, we pay the toll. The price is your life, Uncle Sam want a slice. Black dress code, now we looting in the night. Now we throwing Molotovs in this holocaust. And I know they hate to hear me screaming, I'm about. It's time to take a stand and save our future. Like we all got shot, we all got shot. Throwing up our hands, don't let them shoot us. Cause we all we got, we all we got.
3: Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Three Man Weave. Three Man Weave is brought to you by the good folks at ChairShot Radio Network in conjunction with...
0: TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.
3: And make sure you use your heads and go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. Again, if you enjoy the content that we provide at the chair shot on a day in, day out basis, show us some love and make sure we can continue to provide that content by going to pro com forward slash the chair shot. Please and thank you. Thank you and please. I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Tunney. As always, I'm joined by the Commissioner PC. I say Christopher Tunney. Ah, Jesus Christ ah, of Latter-day Saints. Ah, woo.
0: <laughs>
4: I was, I, my Mr. eyes lit up, and I was like, "Is he gonna catch that? Because if he don't, if he throws it to me before he catches it, he's in a world of hurt."
3: So, I, Mister Velvet Pipes, Christopher Tunny, and as always, I'm joined by the Commissioner, PC Platt. Unfortunately, <laughs> two, two T's our, our... by the way.
4: Hey, two T's and Platt by the way.
3: <laughs> Unfortunately, our, our our third in this. Uh, triumphant mr ray cash he couldn't make it today so it's uh tony and i we're rolling solo so uh tony platt how are you sir
4: oh my goodness that's hilarious that was great uh <laughs> shout, shout out to ray cash as they would say in the radio slash podcasting industry he is out on assignment this week um uh, but he'll be back he'll be back uh we'll miss him this week um uh, i'm doing okay Uh yeah you know i'm sports is going to be coming back soon that's exciting um What are your thoughts on the the intro this week? I I spent a little time putting some things together that caught my ear and and made sense to me and and things that I wanted people to listen to. I thought that what what was said there in in those three different people's opinions or different, uh, you know, we had uh, Mr. Kyle Moore from from the chair shot um, and uh, the NFL uh, players and then Greg Popovich I thought they were all very poignant messages that, personally, I am, I am a white male American. That's who I am. And I thought it would be important for everybody, especially white people in America, to listen to those three messages.
3: Well, first and foremost, shout out to friend of the show, Kyle. I've actually appeared on Outsider's Edge a time or two, and you know I, I really like Kyle. I don't think I'm speaking out of school by mentioning that Kyle is part of the LGBTQ community, and his words were well-spoken and well-said, and it is Pride Month. So, you know, shout-out to our LGBTQ community, man. I, I consider myself an ally, so his words were well-said. Uh, shout-out to Greg Popovich. I mean, he's been on this for quite a while. And and in, in grabbing—let that,
4: that- me just say, I'm sorry, before you get moving there and, and to second what you just said— in grabbing this audio, the first thing that comes up, because this, hap- this his words were put out yesterday, the first thing that comes up is all his comments from 2017 about he's saying the same thing.
3: And he's been on this, man, and you know he actually did it well. I had a mentor of mine we were talking. This was years ago. This was probably around 2015. He said, shut the fuck up until you get a platform and get a following. And then once that happens, you can say whatever you want to say. And I feel like Greg is – Papa Popovich, he, that's what he's on. Like, who's going to say anything to him? He's one of the greatest coaches in the history of professional sports. Nobody's going to say anything to him. And he's using this platform in a way to try to elicit some change. And I, I can appreciate that. And Steve Kerr is like that as well. Steve Kerr's not afraid to step up and say something either. So I give both of those guys props, and especially as white men, because you don't have to say anything. You know what I mean? Because the, the, people always put the onus on the oppressed to fix the, the problem. Well, we're not the ones that created the problem. So how can you put the onus on us to fix the problem? So I do appreciate. And, you know, the words that Greg said, it it resonated with me because of that reasons like it's got to be the white people that aren't on that bullshit. It's got to be you all to elicit that change because that's where the divide was made. That's where the divide was made. You know what I mean? When this country first started, go, go, go ahead, man. You want to say something? I think the to me
4: the takeaway was a white person can't be afraid to tell another white person you're wrong. That's wrong. You need to better educate yourself. You need to close your mouth and listen. You need to go and find out what's actually happening and and realize what has been happening. Right? As opposed to um, a black person or the black community calling out a white person who may not listen to that side of it, right? There's some white people that won't listen to, they're so deep into it. They will not listen to anybody at all. And maybe if they see that someone who's just like them, the, some, the person that they don't, they're not racist against the person that they think is the same as them, even though we're all the same says something to them. Maybe that is the cha- Maybe that's the thing that can help move this forward in the direction where, where
3: life needs to be in general. And the thing is, it hasn't always been the easiest for y'all to step up and say something because it, it, it's a lot easier now, you know what I mean, because the whole you know social justice that's in, and I, I'm not going to go down that path because it makes me sound very cynical, but it hasn't always been easy for y'all to step up and say something because when y'all step up and say something against the system of white supremacy, y- y'all get punished too. You know what I mean? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any any uh, tangible arguments. But there's been times where white people have tried to step up and say, yo, this shit ain't right. We need to fix this. And then they were punished by the dominant society. So, you know, I respect any white person that's going to go out there and, and say something It's you know, as far as I'm concerned, Tony, the greatest American in the history of America is John Brown. And I don't know how familiar you are with the John Brown story, but just to give you a brief synopsis, John Brown was a preacher. He's a white guy. He was a preacher, and he preached against the evils of slavery. So back in the 1800s, a white guy in the 1800s, his plan was to organize a a raid. So they went to Johnson Harpers Ferry. The plan was to go to Johnson Harpers Ferry because that's where the Navy—I think it was the Navy that was located. They were going to rob the ferry, get all the guns and all the ammunition and everything, and then they were going to go from plantation to plantation— arming the slaves and freeing the slaves. That was his plan. And this was back in the 1800s. This was even before the Civil War. And a lot of people point to John Brown being kind of the impetus of the Civil War happening. So it didn't work. He got ratted out by somebody and he got caught and he ended up dying. But the reason that I say that he's the greatest hero in the history of America, because this was a white man that not only sacrificed his life, but sacrificed the lives of his two sons for me. I respect that. I have no choice but to respect that. And if you read back in the history books, they try to kind of minimize what he did. They they they'll, they'll call him crazy and stuff like that. And he might have been a little crazy, but at the same point in time, he stood on the right side of history. He stood for what was right, and he thought that shit was wrong, and he went out and tried to do something about it. And not only did he go out and try to do something about it, he sacrificed his life and the life of his sons for me. Because I don't even know if I'd be able to do that. But that's why I say John Brown is the greatest. If you don't know about John Brown, do your research on John Brown. As far as I'm concerned, he's the greatest American in the history of this country.
4: I— I did not know anything about that, and that's uh, some great knowledge you dropped right there. It's it's important information to people, you know, it's knowledge, education, educate yourself. Don't just you know rely on outdated opinions, right? I mean, things were th- things gotta change, you gotta have different mindset, you know. And we bring up the pride community. And I'm I you bring up the pride community, and I am proud to say that in my community. At Summerfest, where i talk about all the time the world's greatest biggest music festival in the world right from the department of redundancy department there the world's greatest <laughs> music festival in the world right um that,
3: they that, have that that wasn't for y'all listeners by the way that was for me because he's been trying to get me up there <laughs> to get to that music festival since we've known each other and became friends so but go ahead
4: but on these very grounds every year is pride fest right and it's there's a uh parade a march and just a great festival of music and openness and sharing and kindness and people coming together and and that's what needs to happen with everything so you know we we, we get the wonderful message from Kyle in the beginning and and then you know it, I, it was great to see the NFL players come together uh the Green Bay Packers came together to do that uh do a message like that as well and and as a Packer fan you know you you have to you know We're all fans of something. This is a sports show, and when you get to see your team come Mm -hmm. together and do the right thing, it makes you feel good. Um, And then for everybody, especially white people in America, please go back to the beginning of this episode and listen to the messages that were sent to you. Educate yourselves. That's my message is educate yourselves. Don't let the fear of not knowing who people are make you afraid and biased against them.
3: Yeah, because we're not your enemy. And I, I know the way that this thing is set up, man. They, you know, the elite, they point their fingers at whoever. You know what I mean? First it was the black people, then it was the brown people, now it's the LGBTQ community, and, you know, they're taking our jobs and all this and that. No, you like I said last week, you're pointing your rifles at the wrong people. We're not your enemy. We're all in this together. And if you knew how the elites really thought about you, they think about you the same way you think about us. Like, y'all one of us. I just don't realize it. And I think people are starting to realize it. I think that had a lot to do with the with the whole Trump thing, with the whole Trump movement. They're starting to realize that they were lied to, but they just, again, they're pointing their rifles at the wrong people. We're, we're not the enemy here. But that's kind of part of what this is. They have to keep us divided and they have to break us up into smaller and smaller fragments and groups because they understand that if we ever actually call, come, came together and realized, yo, this is some bullshit, we're all getting fucked. Which is what's really happening. Let's just keep it a buck and a half. Two Virgils from a black listeners. <laughs> They'll get that reference. There's nothing they could do because the people outnumber them. But it's all about creating division and separation amongst us all. Shall we talk some sports, my friend? Let's talk some goddamn sports, man. Yeah, this this has been a heavy couple of weeks, man. I just wanna chill out and get drunk and talk some sports with my friends. So let's do that. All right.
0: Sports, 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 sports,
4: sports. Oh wait, wait, it's gonna be in Disney. That's ESPN.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright,
4: I'll bring it down quick. That's right, folks. A plan for the resumption of play for the NBA has been approved. It's going to be a 22-team format. Uh, but thankfully, for me, most importantly, it looks like the playoff seedings are going to remain the same. If you're in the West, you're in the West. And if you're in the East, you're in the East. And as a Bucks fan, I'm sorry, I had to start there. But let me run down the specifics, Mr. Platt, before you rip on my Bucks and tell me the Lakers are going to win.
3: <laughs> you know it's coming.
4: There's only going to be 1,600 people allowed in this bubble. So... When the teams first get there, because there's going to be 22 teams, there's going to be nine teams from the Eastern Conference. The Wizards are the one team out of the playoff scene right now. that are close enough. And there's going to be 13 teams. That's an extra five teams all the way down to the Suns, I believe, in the West. And if the nine seed is within four games of the eight seed, there will be a play-in between the eight and nine seed. And the play-in will consist of such... The nine seed will have to beat the eight seed two games in a row. So that means if the eight seed beats the nine seed right away, it's over. If the eight seed beats the nine seed in the second game, the eight seed goes out. That's the format they're using. Thoughts on that right there and the bubble before we move on to the rest of what's happening in this format.
3: All right. So number one, and I remember this vividly. I don't know if you remember, but I remember because as I was saying it, you were rolling your eyes. I was talking about it's hard for me to believe that there's going to be a scenario in which the NBA comes back and you're going to have stars that don't have an opportunity to get into the postseason, like the Baby Dames, like the Zion's, like that was. I, I couldn't see that happening. You, you, you seem like you want to say something. Would you? Like to I say didn't roll something? my. I don't think I rolled my eyes at that. Did I? No, you, you, you rolled your eyes. I was looking right at you. You rolled your eyes as I was saying it. I think you were, you were I think man.
4: you were promoting that under the circumstance of a World Cup group play format where the conferences didn't matter. The, listen, the only thing that mattered to me was the conference thing because that means we're the number one seed and there's really
3: nobody. If we can't beat everybody in the East, then we shouldn't be the champs anyway. Yeah, that was last week where we were talking about the World Club, Cup. I'm talking about the week prior to that where we talked about some of the scenarios that had kind of been floated out there, and I said, yeah, there, there, there's there, got to be a way for Baby Dame or Zion or some of these other stars to at least have an opportunity to get in the playoffs, and that's exactly what they did. They only took nine teams from the East because, you know, with all due respect, nobody gives a shit about the Knicks, nobody gives a shit about the Cavs, the Hawks, wh- whomever else, yeah. Nobody gives a shit about them. So the way they did it, there's more stars out in the West right now, at least initially, and that's the way they did it. And it's exciting. It's exciting just to get the NBA back in some particular format. And if they feel like this is the best thing to do, fine. Because there were no great ideas. Like, you know, when you break all the ideas down on their surface, they if you think about them for more than two or three minutes, they all sound ridiculous. But if this is the way that everybody agreed on and we get to see some basketball, I'm here for it. So let me, well go,
4: let me go over the rest of what is actually happening here. There's going to be two, to two or three exhibition games, which should be interesting. That just kind of means everybody's going to get about 12 to 18 minutes a run, get loosened up, experience playing against another team. Everybody will play six regular season games, and the playoff seating in your conference will not be determined by uh, wins and losses. It'll be determined by a uh, winning percentage because teams will have a different number of games played. So that could be interesting. You could have a team where they would be a half a game back in the standings, but they could have a better winning percentage, and they would go on, right? And that's kind of how we look at the standings as games back. We talked about the plan. All playoff series will be seven games because that's all going to be on TV, and this will all be on TV. But they got to make that money, so
3: which they is great. Make their money, yeah. That means
4: everybody gets paid, right? So there, there's nothing wrong with that to me personally. So I think the last thing here is. who who does this benefit the most as a team and what are the changes you would have made? Would you make what slight changes or if any, what would have been your perfect scenario with resumption of play?
3: I don't really have a perfect scenario, man, to be honest with you. And you know, I was critical of the NBA scenarios, but it's not as if I have anything better. I don't think there is a perfect scenario. I think it's just, let's figure out what works and let's do that. Or, Not even let's figure out what works. Let's just do something and just deal with it. Now, the interesting thing, two things. Number one, who are going to be these 1,800 people that are going to be allowed to be in the stands? Is that just like friends and families of the players or 1,600? I beg your pardon. Is that just friends and families of the players or how do they pick that? Or do you got to be like super rich to get a ticket?
4: (laughs) No, that's going to be the thing between uh, staff, uh, team personnel. Uh, NBA personnel—you have to have timekeepers and scorers and officials and, and people that are monitoring all that things. You're gonna have people from production networks in there filming this, right? So these people are all in this bubble. And as teams exit the playoffs, more family will be allowed to come into the bubble. That's it. There will not be fans. Fair and enough. if you, get, as, if you get the if you get the Rona seven-day quarantine. BTW, a buddy I found out yesterday a buddy of mine has coronavirus. Really? And he's been quarantined for a week. He's got one more week. He said he feels fine, no symptoms except he can't really taste or smell anything right now.
3: Hmm. Well, as a smoker, I can relate to that anyway. (laughs) Hot sauce, more hot sauce.
4: (laughs) Oh, now I taste it. (laughs) <laughs> right. That's where it came from, because the coal miners, I think they couldn't taste anything because of all the inhalation of the coal and the mines and everything. So they yeah. just put tons of hot sauce on everything. That's the only way they could taste <laughs> nice. anything.
3: As far as who this benefits, I'm not really sure. But the interesting part about this is that we have eliminated the concept of home court advantage, which that's a real thing. When you've got, you know, rabbit, you know, thousands of rabbit fans cheering and, you know, they always say that the the role players or as Shaq calls them, the others tend to play better at home because they get to sleep in their own beds. It's familiar surroundings and stuff like that. Well, that's totally out the picture here. So we actually might have a scenario where I guess we always have that scenario in NBA where the best team always wins. But it's really going to be the best team that wins this thing because you can't rely on home court advantage because it's not there. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But that being said, the Bucks still aren't going to win Sonny. I guess
4: until we see what starts happening when they start playing these regular at the end of these regular season games and see how a couple of these teams come back into form, because you've got to know that the exhibition games, like I said, 12 to 18 minutes, everybody's going to get some run because especially the good teams, they're nine, 10, even 11 deep, right? We talk about the top of each conference. Towards the end of these games, they're going to have a, like, you're going to see the first half be, like, really mean something because these guys are going to want to get ready for the playoff part of it. No, none of these top seeds are going to want to get bounced in the first round because they didn't take these first six games serious. So, all of that aside, a team getting hot and moving forward, I think we both agree since it's East versus West, the Bucs very well
3: should be in the conference final. The conference finals, no doubt. Or, now, uh, interesting. And, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead.
4: No, go know. ahead. And and it's subsequently the finals.
3: Now, an interesting wrinkle, and we did our, our our finals predictions last week, and this was a team that I almost put in my top five. Like I I, I contemplated it for quite a while. You know where I'm going.
4: Yeah, you am know going. I'm going. You,
3: you're, yeah, you're going with Kyrie and KD, right? I'm going with Kai D and Kyrie. Yes, <laughs> I'm going with D and Kyrie. It's okay.
4: It's a theme you got going today. Go for it. Go go for it, uh, Chris <laughs> exactly. Tony. Go for it, Chris Tony.
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, PC Platt. I'm just rocking <laughs> with it. But yeah, there are there. – I've heard rumblings that perhaps Kyrie and KD could come back for this abbreviated season scenario. And if that happens – yeah, that that's an interesting wrinkle in the Eastern Conference and in the, the playoffs in general, you don't think? Well, here,
4: before we get into that real quick, because I do want to touch on that. That's That's something that's really interesting to touch on. Let's say that happens. But what tells me that it's not going to happen is that there has been talks and they're just coming to finalization on these rules about especially the Nets would they be able to go ahead and pick up two other players to fill the roster? Because what happens if someone has to quarantine for seven days? You need to be able to add people to your roster. And they asked for permission to add two extra people in place of Kyrie and KD if they don't come back. So that means they don't – I don't – you wouldn't ask that if you thought that they were coming back. That's what
3: I think. Now,
4: or let, let's say they come back. didn't
3: KD – yeah, didn't KD have the Rona though? So, I mean, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility or I don't think it's... No, it's,
4: I'm, I'm, sim- I don't think- I'm, I'm saying them not coming back to play because of injury still, not the coronavirus. Them just saying oh, we're okay, still injured. Okay, okay. It, it's not likely from where we are and haven't played with all these guys, right? And that's my point to it. Say they do come back. Maybe that's why they won't. There is zero team chemistry there. It's going to be the KD and Kyrie show, basically. These other guys haven't really played with them. You're going to see Kyrie bring the ball up. He's either going to get a pick and make a move and go to the bucket or it's going to be a two-man game and get the ball to KD and Kyrie's going to cut and dish out for three and the other guys are just going to stand around and watch a rebound play defense. That's what kind of team they'd have if they came back, in my opinion. So I don't see them. They would have to play the Toronto Raptors in the first round, I think, if they ended up with the seventh seed. That's not an easy matchup. The Toronto
3: Raptors might be the most underrated team in the league. Yeah, but who's going to score for that team in the playoffs? And, you know, I I saw the signs with uh, Siakam. I saw that he could be a star. But, again, man, he's unproven at this point in time as far as being the top guy. And we've seen Kawhi Lowry come up, as Stephen A. would say, shorter than many me in the playoffs. So I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, even without Kyrie or KD, that they could knock off the Raptors in the first round. And then you add a possible KD and Kyrie in the mix. you got two of the top, what, five scores in all the NBA how many teams in the east have two top five scores so
4: is that a thing do they say well let's hey maybe if you can win, if you let's see if you guys can pull an upset against the raptors and then then we'll then maybe we'll see if we're ready to play
3: i i wouldn't even trust that man if if both of those guys are able to play or more importantly willing to play you got to play them they're literally your two best players and two of the best players in the league
4: you would have to think, being the competitors they are, and especially KD being older than uh, Kyrie and getting older, having less and less, like, realizing, like, you, this is almost a lost opportunity here. You think this is more of a player decision or a management decision? You think, like, the players want to play, but management's just going to see whether or not? Or do you think the players are in total control and be like, I, I'm not sure
3: about my health yet? That's a good question, man. I don't really have an answer to that. That's an honestly really great question because from a management standpoint, you're looking at your long term investment. But at the same point in time, if you have an opportunity to steal a title, I, I don't know if you don't go for it. Same thing with the players. Obviously, you're they're thinking about their long term investment as well. But these athletes are the most competitive people on the face of the planet. That's why they made it to the pros. So I can't see a scenario where they don't want to play if they're able to play. I mean, KD wasn't even able to play with the Warriors last year and still played. And, you know, we saw how obviously yeah, that worked out tragically, but you know, and he's one of these guys where, cause was it his ACL or his Achilles? It was his Achilles, right? Um, Yes. Either way, it was a lower limb scenario. And a lot of guys don't ever come. Okay. But a lot of guys don't ever come back from that and be the same because it, it takes away a lot of their lateral quickness and their athleticism. But he's a guy, he's a seven footer shooting 30 foot jump shots. So I don't think that this injury is going to affect him as it affected like a Dominique Wilkins or an Isaiah Thomas, or, you know, there's other athletes that I can name that this adversely affected and limited what they could do on a court. Just because of his, his sheer uniqueness as a player, I think he'll be able to bounce back from this better than most. I think you'll
4: see, I think the things you'll see reduced in Durant's game, A, his explosiveness to the hoop in the paint to finish is going to be, Maybe a quarter step to a half step slower because if you add age and injury together, that's happening anyway. The other thing, he's still going to be able to create a shot. He's still gonna, He's going to get better as a scorer because in being limited in that way, he's going to use his mind and his experience to figure out ways to score on guys because he's seven fucking one and he can dribble a basketball, right? None of that's gone exactly. away. Exactly. Not a goddamn that's thing of that that's gone away. Uh, defensive side, I think you're going to see him guard less. Speed less first less wing players with a very quick first step i think you're going to see him guard more of the slower three and the four as opposed to he could match up with guys on the wings uh even pick up the point guard or or the two if you needed him to someone that was scoring as a guy that was long and could stay in front of somebody do i think he could do that on occasion yes but i think you're going to see a lot less of that i think you're going to see him guarding more to the bigger half than to the wing player on defense those are the two things that i see in a reduction of his game but mentally getting
3: better yeah i agree with that and figured out how to play defense that's on nick nurse and to be fair nick nurse is a damn good coach because that team is doing a lot better than they have any business being like so you know i gotta give i gotta i gotta give him his props on that and if i mispronounced his name i i do apologize but It's just an interesting wrinkle in an abbreviated season. And I'm not going to say healthy, but rested KD and Kyrie. We'll see. And the irony of that is they seem to be the only two players in the league that actually likes one another if that makes sense like they're the only two guys that like the other guy
4: <laughs> nobody else likes them but they like each other they find solace in the fact that everybody else hates <laughs> their ass
3: but they like each other so uh, we'll see. and
4: only oh no problem with that premise is they ain't even played yet together and that might be still why they like each other we'll see what happens when they start playing together
3: that might be the thing because Kyrie. So when I was out in Arizona, man, I worked for Barney's New York, you know, high-end retail store. And there was one day that the Cleveland Cavaliers came in. This was, um, I can't remember if it was a year or two years before LeBron came back, but it was before LeBron came back. It was that Kyrie Dion Waiters thing. So they're in the store, and there's about eight of them in here. The first one that came in was Tristan Thompson, which he was just a, a sweetheart of a guy. He really was, just a really nice guy. And then it was about seven or eight of them other players ended up coming in and we were in the, I was in the lady shoe salon and Kyrie is there with them. But the whole time they're in there, he's sitting on the couch playing on his phone, not really interacting with the other guys. Just, he just came across as very aloof. And I mean, granted this was just a small sample size that I saw, but I saw the camaraderie between the other players and Kyrie just seemed to be kind of off in his own little world. He was just there. Cause he was just there. So, and I mean, we we have evidence to back this up, man. He doesn't necessarily play well with others. He is, he is Kobe Bryant. And I, I didn't realize that I I didn't pick up on that that that's his doppelganger. He's a lot smaller than Kobe, actually, obviously, rather. But you know, mentality wise, he he's Kobe. He needs to fast
4: forward to the part of Kobe's life where Kobe became a mentor and a person that brought people up with him, as opposed to sort of. Certif- uh, certifying his dominance on the team he's on, in my opinion, right? It's like, we all know you're good, Kyrie. We all know you won uh, the title with LeBron, and LeBron couldn't have done it without you, right? That doesn't take away from LeBron. It only adds to what you did. But it's time to stop showing, th- showing that you want everybody to think that you're the best one out there and showing that you can bring all your teammates up with you and make it about them. That's my opinion as well, him to- as a team player.
3: Well to be fair, Kobe didn't reach that point until after he retired.
4: <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. 100%. But he I think I know uh, in the general in the general to 100% fullness of that statement, I agree. But subconsciously to win those uh, that second those those four and five titles, the repeat after the three-peat, he needed to become that guy. Whether he did it in a a nice way or a Jordan way, it was still bringing his teammates up better with him as opposed to certifying his dominance on the team.
3: Well, this goes back to something we said. I don't think we said it on three-man weave, but I think we talked about this when we were reviewing the Jordan documentary, or the Bulls documentary, rather, talking about how we put this weird, as a society, we put this weird, we, we equate winning to somehow you've evolved and matured as a person. I don't think Kobe necessarily evolved or matured as a person in, in that second, you know, the back-to-back titles. I think he had two highly skilled seven-footers, and he had a 6'10 guy who was left-handed, and you played ball, so you know how valuable a left-hand is. You play, ball, you play basketball and baseball, so you know how valuable a left-hander is much so. in both of those sports <laughs> that could do anything on the court with a basketball. And he also had one of the top, what, five greatest coaches in sports of all time. So I don't know how much he evolved. I think he just had a really good team around him. And, I, you know, obviously his will to win pushed him to win, and he pushed and prodded. But he also had a damn good squad behind him as well. That that can't be negated. Let's put it this way, though. Who hasn't?
4: This is the last thing I want to say here and before we move on, and we have a few more sports topics before we close out the show today. Platt and I love the NBA so much. We love talking NBA with each other. That's why a lot of what we're going to talk about is NBA-centric. And, and we, we hit everything else when it's big news, but we just love the NBA. Is the fact that, you know, you sit here and the playoffs are coming, and ah, I'll be honest with you right now, I forgot exactly the question I was about to ask you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, Just keep talking so you figure it out. I tried that, and
4: it didn't work. It was like 15 (laughs) seconds, and I'm like, fuck it. Honesty is the best policy. Let's just say you fucked up and you can't remember. It was a damn good question I was going to ask you. Come on, Platt. No, it's not coming to me. (laughs) It's just not. I don't want to torture the people. Any last thoughts on the NBA here as we move forward? Uh, that, That whole plug in our NBA fandom really fucked me over there. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I'm just happy it's coming back and we're going to see right. some basketball. That's all. Yeah, and gonna... again, shout out to NBA TV because they've been, you know, they've been showing some old school games, but now they're showing all the same games again. So it's starting to get I I kind of feel like I should have signed up for that free league pass. <laughs> all right. Before we get going here, a little bit of
4: Ooh, I, don't breaking even, news. I don't even think I have to ask, but on next week's episode of Three Man Weave, we will be covering the Bruce Lee story on ESPN like water. You
3: like that breaking news? What are you asking? I'm not asking. I, what were you I'm, asking? I'm,
4: I'm telling the people. I said instead of asking, I'm telling them. So you got to watch the Bruce Lee documentary tonight.
3: <laughs> yeah, who's not going to watch the Bruce Lee documentary? Who doesn't like Bruce Lee? Well, that's why i didn't ask i just told i don't think that had to be breaking news but all right man whatever well i just want to feel time i get it
4: oh, well let's just go to a commercial then for
3: Christ's sake
0: <laughs> this is your boy Kidney killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com bringing you breaking news interviews podcasts galore everything pro wrestling make sure you check it out the thechairshot.com.
3: Thechairshot.com. Use your head.
4: All right, pulling back the curtain, we are recording on Sunday. I don't know if this episode will go up tonight or tomorrow, but you'll hear it probably tomorrow on, on the one and only ChairShot.com. Make sure you follow the new handle at ChairShot Media. That's right, we're branching all over the place. So I like ChairShot Media. How do you feel about that, ChairShot Media?
3: I like, man, we're starting to expand a little bit and cover some things other than professional wrestling. I like it, so I can dig it. Shout out to ChairShot Media.
4: It always comes back to professional wrestling because Platt and I will both be watching NXT TakeOver in your house this evening or tomorrow morning. But speaking of fighting and people uh, in, you know, combat against each other, UFC 250 was last night. First of all, congratulations to UFC 250 shows, uh, big shows, pay-per-view shows, right? I mean, I know they they have – let's put – before we move on, before I forget – The next three Saturdays, if you have ESPN or ESPN Plus, you got more UFC fight nights coming for free on Saturdays. But 250 UFC pay-per-views planned.
3: And I, I get, well, number one, congratulations to that. That's a big deal. And I get why UFC is being so proficient in these times because they're the only game in town. So maybe they think they can pick up some extra viewers here and there. I personally forgot that there was a UFC uh, card last night, but I'm sure there is a lot of people that are just missing sports and want to see sports in some particular form. I mean, hell we were watching cherry seed spitting competitions on ESPN a month ago, man. So people are clearly thirsty for sports.
4: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Here's the two things that came away from me uh, from USC last night. Amanda Nunez, victorious again she's now beaten every other woman that's held the belt in that women's division she's the only woman to hold two titles in the ufc she's on 11 fight win streak not only is she the best she is the best women's ufc fighter of all time is she the best ufc fighter of all time she's dominant she's not even done being dominant she's gonna go on and kick even more ass she'll probably defend both these belts until she retires
3: I can't say she's the best UFC fighter of all time as long as Anderson Silva still exists. And that's not a knock to Amanda. So she's for you, the it's Silva, woman's fighter of all time. But, yeah, I'm not trying to shit on her. But, I mean, Anderson Silva in his prime was amazing. He was phenomenal. But the the issue she's going to come in with. And how do I say this without sounding like a complete and utter asshole? I don't think I can. So I'm just going to say it. You're going to say she's a woman. To, uh, no, not that she's a woman. That she's not classically attractive or not necessarily she's not a pleasing to the average person. I'm not saying she's okay, not. I see. I'm not saying she's ugly, but, you know, she's not. She doesn't have the appeal that a Ronda Rousey or even a, a Gina Carano see that?
4: You see that had. Modelo? You see that Modelo commercial? She looked pretty fly in that commercial, man.
3: She did,
4: she did. I was That's like, three, three or four modelos. let's go back to my place, baby. You can put me in a chokehold, <laughs> but not for too long. If I tap out, just let me go.
3: Uh, but it, how's that any different from your typical Saturday night, sir? Ugh. I mean, I've been there, man. Before, I, was, I wasn't always in a relationship, man. I've been there, three <laughs> or four modelos, and okay, yeah, she look all right. Let's, let's I no, it do, what do In
4: a roundabout horrible way, I was trying to say I think she's attractive.
3: That's fair. That's fair. But I don't know if the mainstream audience is going to find her as attractive as a Ronda Rousey or a Gina Carraro. So or I know I butchered her name. So I don't know how big she's going to be able to get in this UFC spectrum. Is there an argument that she's the greatest woman to do it? Yes, most definitely. Or well, she's easily we'll the see greatest how they push woman. Her. And, it, and it all depends about the machine, man, because, you know, the machine can make anybody a, a star. Once the machine gets behind you, they can make anybody a star. So we'll see what happens.
4: I'm hoping they can still make Usman Masvidal at Fight Island UFC 251. (laughs) Just pay them. Everybody wants to see that. You have no idea how many buys you're going to get if that's your main event for 251.
3: Uh, Did you really really think it's a great idea to bring up Fight Island? Talking to me. Why? What do you mean? Because I'll come up with another 15 ideas about what they need to be doing on Fight Island, and you will roll your eyes and leave and go get a beer. Oh, that's
4: fine. Maybe I can do that then. Let me just say my last thing, and then you can come up with more fight. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> You're like, no, you don't do that. I was just gonna say, uh, GSP is my greatest of all time. He has two losses, but he okay. came back and convincingly beat both those guys. Just my favorite. Much love for John Jones, uh, Anderson Silva, obviously Demetrius Johnson. I think we talked about before. Uh, but I would, I don't know, right now. I would say Nunes is probably the, the I'd say she's the greatest UFC fighter of all time, because I think she's going to continue to dominate for at least two or three more years. I don't think anybody's going to beat her until she retires. She's going to retire on uh, on this win streak. You might be right, man. Tell me somebody else that's beaten every single other person that's held that belt. She's done that. <laughs>
3: that's, that's crazy. Fair. That's fair. You might be right. Yeah, you might be right. I just don't know if they're going to push her as such, that's all.
4: Well, let's talk about people that, or let's talk about someone that's probably the complete opposite, someone that's made more money for the UFC than almost anybody except for Ronda Rousey, and that's Conor McGregor, right? I mean, I think it's pretty hard to argue that fact that Conor McGregor has been the biggest draw in UFC history besides Ronda Rousey.
3: Yeah, and I put him above Ronda Rousey because of the whole Floyd Mayweather thing, so yeah, but go on. we're not gonna have that argument again are we no we're not that's why i said go on (laughs) (laughs) all right
4: conor mcgregor and i will put it in air quotes retired
3: again Jesus Christ. How many times have we seen this in combat sports? How many times did Ali retire? On the on the Sugar Ray Leonard side of the game. I swear to God, Sugar Ray Leonard retired like 50, 11 times. And who else? Mayweather retired until he got that big day with Conor McGregor. Like, this happens all the time. So all retirement means is I'm not going to do this shit until you find a fight worthy enough to, to, for me to come out and we can all make some money. That's all that means. Yeah, I 100%.
4: I'm tired of doing this
3: thing. Yeah, I'm tired of training day in and day out. So you find a fight that's worth my time and dime, and we'll make it happen.
4: It's funny because he mentioned, you know, you want to run me up and down the weight classes, this, that, and the other, and I don't want to do that anymore. Well, you know what? I think that's bullshit. Don't say anything. Just fucking retire. Because to be honest with you, if you're Conor McGregor, and you have a price, and you have a weight class you want to fight at, and tell them what the weight class is and tell them what the price is and then come out and say they won't pay me to fight at the weight class I want to. Don't talk to me about what you agreed to because you got fucking money for that and you signed the motherfucking dotted line. At some point in your life, you made the decision, I want to fight in these weight classes I'm not comfortable in and I'll take the paycheck. And at some point in your life, you decided, I'm not going to do that anymore. Don't talk to me about that. Talk to me about what your specifications are to continue fighting. Or just say I'm done fighting.
3: Well the issue is the top guys in his weight class he's gonna get outclassed by it, and he's gonna get his ass kicked. He's top guys in his weight class.
4: Where do you want him to fight at one seventy or one fifty five?
3: Well, 170, that's pushing towards the silver fight. I'm talking about 155. I'm talking about with uh, who's the Russian brother that knocked his ass out the last time they fought. I can't oh, remember his name. Khabib. Yeah, I don't. I'm yeah, talking about Khabib. Khabib. Khabib.
4: I got you. Or and even
3: a Tony Ferguson. I don't think he, be, he could even hang with a Tony Ferguson at this point. So it's got to be an exhibition, uh, exhibition fight where he's fighting a soup can but could still make a payday. And there's not that many soup cans out there that he could possibly make a payday with, with the exception of Anderson Silva, with all due respect, because he's obviously washed.
4: Well, I, honestly, it's funny that you bring that up because everything I've said about criticizing how he retired and the comments that he made about why he retired, like I would still buy a Conor McGregor fight, like DP and I, we bought the boxing match. Like you watched it with us. That was fucking awesome. You know I mean? Like we're fans of, excuse me. We're fans of these guys, right? We're like personally invested in their career as, as, as athletes, so it's funny because you we're we're also wrestling fans, and we love a storyline. But what greater storyline than to be like, okay, McGregor, I retired. Silva's pretty much on his way to retirement. Doesn't this perfectly set up for that dream match we talked about before? Let's see it. Both of theirs last fight. Catch weight. Come in. See some entertainment. It's going to be entertaining. I mean, Anderson Silva, he thinks he's Roy Jones Jr. these days. <laughs>
3: Honestly, and uh, sadly enough, he is Roy Jones Jr. these days. And I'm not talking about the Roy in his prime. I'm talking about post-prime Roy Jones.
4: For me, when Roy Jones Jr. was at his prime in his correct weight class, regardless of the fact that you may not think that the opponents that he has was his quality in, in some of the other weight classes surrounding him at the time, that guy made people look dumber than anybody ever made anybody look in a combat sport. I mean, he was... He would literally do the fucking robot and beat your ass.
3: (laughs) I would say Mayweather, but I get where you're going with that.
4: Well, I mean, Mayweather just, Mayweather was all about scoring. Roy Jones was all about being flashy and having swag in the ring and making you look bad at the same time. He knew he was that much better than you. Roy Mayweather was about defense.
3: Well, he was, Roy was that much quicker than you. And that's why towards the end of his career, when his quickness wore off, you saw he didn't really have the the skill set that he needed. And he got knocked the fuck out a few times. Whereas, you know, Mayweather Mayweather is a highly skilled boxer. I literally think that Mayweather is the greatest boxer of all time by any metric, by any metric. He drew the most money. He made the most money. He didn't get hit because it's not about getting hit. And, I mean, he fought everybody that there was possibly there able to fight. You could say that the that boxing wasn't in its prime when Mayweather was in it, and he kind of carried it. But, I mean, who didn't he fight that was out there? He fought Hall of Famers, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Cotto, Arturo Gatti. Tokyo 3K. Not Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar, Sugar, uh, uh, Tokyo 3K, uh, I was saying Sugar Shane Mosley. Oscar De La Hoya, Manny Pacquiao. Canelo Alvarez. He fought everybody that, that was out there to fight.
4: So, talk about the list of people that Floyd Mayweather Jr. has beaten, right? I'm talking about Angel Manfredi, Carlos Rios. Famer. Yep. You got Gregorio Vargas, Diego Corrales, Jesus Chavez, Hall of Famer, Jose Luis Castillo, twice. Hall of Famer. Arturo Gotti, Sharma Mitchell, Zab Judah, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Juan, Mel- Hall Juan-, Juan Manuel Marquez, Shane Mosley,
3: Miguel Cotto,
4: Canelo Alvarez, in case you all forgot, Marcos Maidana-, Maidana twice, Pacquiao, Andre Berto, Hall of famer. and topped it off with beating possibly one of the greatest UFC guys ever, in which was a boxing fight because otherwise it wouldn't be on his career
3: win total, Conor McGregor. Yeah, man, that's your go by any metric. He drew the most money. He made the most money. He didn't take the most punishment. And he beat everybody that was in front of him.
4: Right, but didn't that allow him to make the most money is that he could continually not take punishment. And that's my whole point to his defense is like, this guy had the greatest defense ever.
3: Well, the thing that allowed him to make the money was when he adopted the uh, the Money Mayweather persona. Because back when he was Pretty Boy Floyd, he was knocking Mellon Farmers out, but he wasn't making he wasn't drawing any money. Nobody cared. He was just a you know an undercard type guy. But when he adopted that Money Mayweather persona, that's what took him to the next level. And which is why I say everything in the world and in life is professional wrestling.
4: Hard to argue with that. Those can be wonderful last thoughts on our combat sports segment.
3: Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.
4: Hey folks, listen up, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalogs of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Pins, stickers, illustrations. angrylemonade.net. Thechairshot.com.
0: Always use your head.
4: One last thing I want to hit on before we get to a little bit of housekeeping here. Yeah, I want you all to go over to www.vinbaker.com. Third annual Addiction Ends Here 5K. It's going to be a virtual race this year, July 1st through the 15th. For more details on what that entails, head over to vinbaker.com. Please check that out. Uh, shout out to Vin Baker, friend of the show. Uh, Great cause, and and do me a personal favor as PC Tunney, Milwaukee native, big Bucks fan. uh, Head over there, VinBaker.com.
3: TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.
4: Mr. Platt, there is one sport that is coming back this very coming week, and it's on Thursday, and PGA Tour Golf is back. No fans this week, but it's going to be on television, so... Whether you're a golf fan or not, you you might just be jonesing for sports that that much that you can, you know, watch the grass grow for a couple hours and these guys hit a few shots. If you're a golf fan, you're definitely excited about it. They've also announced that uh, uh, Mirfield, Jack Nicklaus's tournament is going to be the first tournament with fans back. This is the first sport that I've noticed that is announcing they're going to have fans in attendance.
3: I mean, to be fair, with the exception of NASCAR, isn't golf the most social distancing friendly sport there is?
4: Right. And so that talked, makes sense. Right. And we've talked about that because I brought up the fact that I'm I'm a golfer and I'm like, why can't I golf? I don't I can stand 10 yards away from everybody I'm playing golf with if I really needed to. Right. And around here, you know, usually you go out in a foursome, you get four guys together. That's the maximum of all people you can have going out together in a group. Usually there's two guys in a cart. They send two carts out, right? Right now they're still doing four carts. It looks like a NASCAR race, speaking of NASCAR. It looks like four carts driving down the fairway at one time. It's pretty funny. (laughs) So, you know, people are being smart. People are being social distancing and trying to, you know, get life back to normal by following those protocols. I'm just excited that this is another thing that's coming back. Speaking of things that are coming back, and on the flip side, something that might not be coming back. And it's getting to that point where, to me, personally, I don't think there's going to be a season this year in Major League Baseball. I don't think we're going to see it. I think they're so far off on negotiating the terms of player contracts and things of that nature. And Ray Cash, Ray, our, our, our missing brother this week, out on assignment, and, and he'll be back next week with, with all of his wonderful takes on sports. He's such a knowledgeable sports guy. And he had this way out in front of us where we didn't really understand right away. There was the first cut that the players uh, agreed to, but this second cut, they're not down with that. It almost seems like they'd rather not even play.
3: Baseball's interesting because it seems like historically, at least during our lifetimes, the players association and ownership, they've always had a, can we say, contentious relationship? Is that fair to say?
4: Well, there's no salary cap. Every other, every other major yeah. sport, NHL, yeah. NBA, uh, and uh, NFL, there's a salary cap, right? I mean, I think the NBA players have done the best for themselves that they're going to actually end up taking a pay cut in the next coming years because they can't go over 51% of, of the earnings of the league. And their contracts right now are going to excel the earnings of the league, so they might lose some money. They'll still be making the same percentage, though. Right. They've negotiated that percentage, whereas Major League Baseball, the owners, they they sign these guys to some of these huge contracts and kind of figured out that it wasn't really worth it like the NFL does, unfortunately. And they can just let
3: these contracts go at any time. And, you know, in this particular scenario, I feel both sides. I think both sides have a point. Coming from an ownership perspective, well, we're missing out on 40% of our revenue because we're not going to be able to have fans in the stands right now. You're not going to be able to play a total 162-game season because, you know, they make a lot of revenue off of those local sports markets. I mean, you can throw on for – for six months, you've got your prime time lineup set. 162 games. You throw on a, pre, a, a pregame and a postgame. And then you got a game that's three hours like that's from seven to one. You got your lineup set. Well, like Ray would say, as you continue to make your point here, six out of seven days of the week,
4: you have five hours of primetime content for your market.
3: Exactly. And that's where they made their money. And that's why these baseball contracts have exploded. Also, the no salary cap thing. But at the other time, I can understand a player that signed a contract that said, I'm going to get X amount of dollars for playing this game. I can understand why they'd be like, well, no, I'm not taking a prorated salary. That's bullshit. I signed a contract. You have to adhere to your contract. So I, I see both sides of this. Well, the problem now with the players isn't
4: not the proratedness; it's the ultra proratedness, the extra prorated. It's like they go, "Okay, fine, we'll prorate to the amount of games, no problem, we get it." But they want to cut that down by another sixty to seventy percent. That's that's crazy, and I get it from the from the yeah. owner standpoint too. Like, listen, if I'm not making money, this isn't a business. This is a business. This isn't this isn't my lifelong passion. My lifelong passion for these owners is making money. You get it? For the players, it's baseball. For the owners, it's money. That's pretty much where it's at. For everybody except for a few, a very select few owners, right, where their passion is, I have, you know, I can make money uh, secondarily by putting the team first.
3: And you don't get to the point in life where you become a billionaire and become as successful and influential enough to own a professional sports team by spending your own money. That's just not what this is. So, yeah, I I get where they're coming from and I get where the players are coming from. Now, PC, for me, what makes this interesting, and I've talked about this on previous shows, is that most of the baseball players, they come from a – a socioeconomic background where they don't necessarily need the baseball money just because of the fact that it's just expensive to play baseball. You know what I mean? So they don't necessarily need the money as opposed to the NBA or the NFL where those brothers live paycheck to paycheck. So they have the where most of the players have the where thought where they can just say, fuck this shit, I'm not going out and they're going to be all right. So that's what makes this interesting. If they truly choose to dig their heels in, there may not be a season this year. It's too bad because I remember the year
4: we lost the World Series. And then I remember, I think it was in the early 2000s, there was another you know, uh, possible lockout or, or just kind of like strife between the players and the owners uh, in renegotiating the contracts, and they got it done. But here we are again and it's just like neither neither side and, and I think it's more the owners than the players because the owners can sustain and understand and make but they, they're more they're more capable of making they, adjustments they got, it. And, they got then, it and getting it done in the long term like they can make more secessions, even if it's short term to benefit long term which isn't good either but at some point, both sides need to understand that if you don't have a season this year, you're probably going to be okay, but it's not a good look. It's never a good look. I remember that. It's never I remember a good look. Right. We, we talk about the upper echelon versus the rest of the world. It's never a good look when millionaires and billionaires are fighting and all your money is coming basically from the upper lower class and the lower middle class, to be honest with you. Those are the people that yeah. love – those are people that love sports. Those are the people that save up all month and spend as much money on merchandise as they do on their fucking rent. Think about that.
3: And I didn't realize how much money came from actual people in the stands because of these TV rights deals because, you know, at this point in time, man – number one well okay baseball is kind of an exception i enjoy watching baseball at the park more than i do watching it on television but other than that football is much better at home do you think basketball, that's the one sport that's the one sport that's better live right i would i would throw basketball in there as well because it's with good naked. seats like with good seats Well, this is what good seats, but this is the reason I say that not because the actual game itself, but because it's the most naked sport. They're not wearing caps. They're not wearing helmets or shoulder pads. So you get to pick up all on all of the if you're in tune to that type of thing, which I am. You get to pick up on all the interpersonal interactions with the players. So you can see which players don't respect the coach or which teams don't respect the coach or what players don't get along. Like you get to pick up on all that shit when you're at a basketball game live. So. Uh, that that's the only exception I'll put out there, but yeah, baseball is much better live. Football's not. But with these TV rights deals, it's it's a lot more comfortable and you know cost efficient to stay at home and watch these games. So that's why I say that I'm surprised how much money they depend on fans' revenue. I, I you know I, I really didn't see that coming with all these crazy ass TV rights deals that they've been signing.
4: Between television and merchandising and things of that nature, yeah. I mean, think about the amount of merchandise they sell because of people watching it on television or people coming to the events and things of that nature. It's not in your forefront right now. It's not something you really think about, right? There's nothing to root for. I'm not rooting for anything right now. There's no reason for me to go buy a Bucks jersey or a Packers uh, hoodie or uh, you know, a Brewer's pullover or something like that. No one's rooting for anything.
3: So what, what do you think happens here, man? Because we're clearly going to have football because America would burn itself to the ground if there's no football. Y'all, you already know that. But baseball, gun to your head, is there some form of a season? Nope. I, I, if I had to bet, I wouldn't bet a lot. But if I
4: had to bet, I would bet the minimum. <laughs> I would bet the minimum on there will not be a baseball season this year, and they will just come January 1st, they'll turn over a new uh, season and a new fiscal year or, or whatever kind of uh, uh, league year, a new league year, and we'll see spring training, and they'll carry forward through that. I, I just don't see them working this out, and it's not gonna, it, and it doesn't, doesn't help either side. You're going to lose – granted, you're losing money either way, but you're losing more money by not even agreeing to lose
3: more money. Does that make sense? No, I feel you. You're absolutely right. And the fact that they can't come to an agreement, it's not a good look on either side. Like, I, you know, in these situations, I always tend to side with labor over management. But, yeah, neither side looks good here. Like, it's better to make some money than no money. So let's try to figure it out. All right,
4: folks, we are coming to the end of this podcast. We're supremely happy that you made it on. Uh, We missed a brother, Ray Cash, this week. He will be back next week. He is out on assignment, very important assignment. He's going to tell us all about it next week, whether I have to have him make up why he was out on assignment or not <laughs> on, a fist, <laughs> on a fantasy journey or something like that. I'm going to make this guy come up with some tale for y'all, and it's going to be great. Uh, CP, I, I've enjoyed it again. I want to let everybody know next week we're going to review uh, the Bruce Lee documentary, and the week after that, guess what's coming back?
3: hey
4: let's let it go that's right we'll be reviewing the undertaker document two weeks from now that's coming back right there on the wwe network i think that's uh sports fans everybody pretty much knows who the undertaker is right there should we do? Should we do? Uh, should we close it out before we get into uh, the final thing we're going to do today?
3: Oh, you want me to wrap it up and say all the things that I normally say? Is that what you're saying? All right. Well, before we get out of here, man, you can find me at the Real C Plant on Twitter. But more importantly, go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. Again, if you appreciate the content we provide day in and day out here at The Chair Shot, show us some love and make sure we can keep providing that content. Go pick up a t-shirt. We've got hashtag journalism, Jesus Did the Job, Save Tag Team Wrestling, Baron Corbin sucks. yada, yada, yada. A lot of other cool designs. Again. If you appreciate what we do and the movement that we're providing, we depend on listeners like you and that cat that just scared Tony. But anyway, go to com forward slash dot TheChairShot.com, it's not just a website, it's a movement. Tony, where can they find you, sir? You've got like 86 Twitter accounts.
4: Yeah, before we get to me, make sure you go and follow uh, our main man, Ray Cash, at R-E-Y like Mysterio and Cash like Dollars. <laughs> huh? Did I do that right? Well played. Thank you. Thank You, you did thank you. actually. All right. And then head on over to angry lemonade.net, you know, pins, stickers, illustrations. Seriously. I went over there the other day. There's a lot of cool stuff you can get done. You can get some custom digital uh, imagery done as well. So if you're maybe looking for uh, a new look on your social media, angry that's the place to go. And also go to vinbaker.com. All right. That's a guy who's uh, close to me, uh, my heart and my sports fandom personally. And the guy is doing a great job. Big time virtual raise, uh, raising a lot of money for a, a great cause, uh, VinBaker.com. You can find me at PC Tunny, at PC Tunny on uh, the Twitter. Everything is right there. Just uh, keep on listening. CP, it's Alan Iverson's birthday.
3: Hey, happy birthday to da, you. Birthday to you. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday to the answer
4: he is the answer i remember uh,
3: my buddy satchel mcflippins called me up and he goes you know anytime you break up satchel mcflippins we've got to pay homage because that's an awesome ass name you already know you're right shout out to satchel mcflippins great guy great guy <laughs>
4: great hair too his hair is really long right now he decided not to cut it for covid anyway so satchel calls me up his dad is a a, a developer and knows a lot of important people and work with a lot of good people and created a lot of great things and had connections at the time for seats and couldn't use them that night he, he wasn't available and i'm talking on the floor next to the scorers table so me and satchel early 20s we head down. We got the Sixers and the Bucks. Allen Iverson, right? Iverson put up sixty that night. Jesus! It was the greatest thing I've ever seen in sports. In person, the guy basically floated across the floor. Like you talk about guys that are like Giannis and LeBron and, and Kawhi and Kevin Durant, guys that cover a lot of ground and you and they don't dribble a lot, right? They're just long and go iverson's not long he's just quick he's one of the fastest people i've ever seen in my life and to get to witness it from that portion on the floor and see what's going on was just amazing it's it's one of if not one of my favorite sports memories in person
3: i I say this all the time and i'm gonna say it again here other than tiger woods the most influential athlete of the post-Jordan era is Allen Iverson. And it's not even close. The cornrows, the tattoos, the sleeves. And, you know hip hop and and basketball they had already had somewhat of a symbiotic relationship because a lot of these guys grew up together around the same time but he was the first athlete that really embraced hip. he was the first uh, basketball player that really embraced hip hop and brought it in and he was to the point where he made a rap album which eh, we're not going to get into that but But he was really the first athlete that really fully embraced hip hop culture and he brought that to a mainstream audience and I think his influence kind of gets overshadowed but it it can't I mean everything that he's doing like you know mainstream America wasn't used to these athletes having all these tattoos and shit like that, and the sleeves and everything like you can't minimize his contribution to the pop culture lexicon and as far as athlete he's one of the greatest athletes like I, I still maintain to this day Allen Iverson, he would have been the greatest soccer player of all time because soccer and you already know soccer and basketball are the exact same sport because the angles are the same and his relentlessness, his athleticism, his quickness, he would have been the greatest soccer player of all time.
4: Would you compare Messi and Iverson then? I mean, like that's an apt sports comparison if you're going to go outside of, of each sport. Like that's what Messi did. He was so to the point and fast and boom and gone and you couldn't even catch him. If you watch I I challenge you folks to go to YouTube and look up Allen Iverson highlights, watch that and then go to YouTube and look up Lionel Messi uh highlights. You will see the comparison in unbelievably guys playing bigger than their stature at a speed that is faster than anybody else can handle.
3: I I agree, and they list Iverson, I think, at six feet. Let me tell you, Iverson ain't six feet nothing. He ain't touching six feet. Plus, he was an all-star quarterback in high school as well, so that would have worked out, but you know, that was a time where the the NFL still kind of frowns on black quarterbacks, but back during that time, they really frowned on black quarterbacks, so it wasn't going to work. They would have turned him into a running back or something else. At the time,
4: unless you were a prototype, you were not getting looked at as a black athlete, as a quarterback, right? I mean, you had to be Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon. You had to have the taller stature. Kyler Murray, uh, guys of that nature were not getting looked at. You can almost compare Kyler Murray to an Allen Iverson with the stature.
3: That's true. With the stature, yes, but he's not near the athlete Iverson was. Like I I I mean, I'm watching him
4: right now. ESPN or NBA TV showing Allen Iverson all day.
3: Like I remember hearing a, a, a not hearing a story. I was reading an article about Iverson, and I don't remember who wrote the article or anything like that. You know, alcohol is half a drug, but they were talking about how Iverson he took a football, a football, dribbled it as if it was a basketball between his legs, picked it up, and then just threw a thirty yard rope down the just just. Just throwing it, just bullshitting. They was just in the hood or you know on the street, just chilling, bullshitting, and he just like it was nothing. I you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for the athlete that he was, depending, you know, because of his stature. Like you and I, we're we're big guys, man. Wait, like, we we're we're bigger and taller than the majority of society. So that I would say we're big guys, but in NBA world, we're little guys. You know what I mean? We're spud webs in the NBA world. We're little. And Iverson is smaller than us. And to do what he did in the NBA, you got to give him his props, man. And I think his signature game is uh, the uh, Game 1 of the 2001 NBA Finals, where that he, he led that Sixers team, which... Shout-out to uh, Next Town Brown, Larry Brown, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But they led that team to the finals. And I think that that, that was the, uh, the MVP. But, yeah, that's what the players call him, low-key. Oh, uh, no, yeah, it Next makes sense. Brown. I get it. I get it. Yeah,
4: yeah. It didn't go
3: over but, my head. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's literally what the players call him, Next Town Brown. But that team, that they maximized... What they were able to do. Like they maximized their potential by getting in that finals and beating that Lakers team. That was the only loss that that Lakers team took that year. That's the Shaq and Kobe led Lakers. That was the only loss that they took in the playoffs was that game one. And then they blew them out, but they literally maximized everything they could possibly do with that Sixers team. That's Allen Iverson's apex. I know you're shaking your head because you're still pissed off that the Sixers beat the Bucks, but the Bucks weren't gonna beat the Lakers. God damn it, the Bucks were not gonna beat the Shaq and Kobe Lakers that year, Tony. They just weren't. I'm not they even weren't. gonna go there. I'm not even gonna go there. I want to let the people know.
4: Uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled y'all tuned in. Uh, we got something special to finish this show on Allen Iverson's birthday. I will let Mister C Platt right over there have the last word today.
3: Well, I don't even know what to say, man. Shout out to our brother Ray Cash. He'll be back next week. Yo, man, thank you guys for listening to this. Yeah, this is something, this is an idea Tony and I have had for a long time. And finally the stars aligned and we're doing it. So everybody under the sound of my voice that's listening to this, I sincerely appreciate it. We have fun doing this, and we're gonna be back next week better than ever. We sitting here. I supposed to be franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. We sitting
0: here. I supposed to be franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. We sitting here. I supposed to be franchise player,
2: and we in here talking about practice. We sitting here. I supposed to be franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. How the hell can I make my teammates better? By practice? It's easy to sum it up. We talking about practice, beasts in the air. i supposed to be franchise player. I know that. Practice, man. <laughs> We're talking about practice. Lucky Land
4: Casino asking
0: people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
4: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually.
0: Do I have to say? Yes, you do.